Well, this has been a full service already. Uh, I, I mean, I'm full in my spirit. If, if I were to go home right now, I feel like I've been to church. And amen, because the, uh, the worship, the songs that we sang, the lyrics that we uttered really minister the word of Christ to us. It reminds us who we are in the Lord. And we live in a day right now where the world is in turmoil. Uh, our nation is in turmoil. And, and yet we come to church on the Lord's day and there we find peace. You know, the stream is, is uh, torrents of water. But if you are with the Lord, if you know the Lord, then you see Jesus standing in the stream, calming the waters. That's what our Lord can do. That's what our Lord does in our lives. And we will pray here before we begin to, to study the Word, and we want to lift up again those who are in the Ukraine and others who are in harm's way, and let's pray that God would bring conviction to leaders all over the globe to turn their hearts to God. But we're going to see in our text today that a leader of a nation doesn't have to be a Christian in order to make to do right what we want from a leader what we want from our president is to be god fearing fear the lord more than you fear man and so let's pray right now father we thank you that in this time of service we have already just been ushered into your presence through through thoughts and songs uh, through scripture passages through words of encouragement, we thank you that we are able to get a clear picture of who you are, a sovereign God who is in full control of everything happening on the earth. Nothing slips by you, Lord. And we are so thankful this morning that in, in the midst of all the turmoil, in the midst of the pain, the suffering, in the midst of the evil and the wickedness, yet the Bible says that you are good. You are are love. And Lord, I believe that your spirit is wanting to be poured out upon all flesh, even to this day, that people would know you as the one true and living God, and they would fall to their knees in humble submission and turn their hearts over to you, believing in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and being saved. That's our desire, Lord. Even in the Ukraine, that people in Russia, Ukraine, and the neighboring countries where, where there's great fear, where there's great suffering and great anxiety, we pray that you would send the gospel with, through faithful mouths, those who would not be afraid to speak the truth, and that people in that region would be getting saved left and right, that heaven would be filled up with people out of this war, that people who have turned to Christ... We pray, Lord, for the safety of the families and the children and the widows and the people, the citizens. We pray for their safety. We pray that you would bring a halt to the evil and the wickedness of man in his effort to rule over and suppress another man. I pray, Lord, that you would bring righteousness and it would prevail. I pray that God, America, would once again be a godly nation, fearing God more than they fear anything in this world. Father, I pray that you would that your word says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. May we be a lighthouse, a beacon on a hill that the other nations of the world would look up to and see that it's because of our God that we are a great nation. 
Lord, I pray the same for other nations, that they would turn to you and they would become beacons on a hill and that the world would be transformed, we pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, today in this word, oh, thank you, God, that you didn't come for just the Jew. You didn't come just for those who thousands of years ago you said were your chosen, holy, and dearly loved. But you came for every tongue, every nation, every color. You love people the same. There is no special favoritism that you show man. And so, Lord, we're thankful that today your Holy Spirit is here to reach and save the lost soul. Your, your Spirit is here to raise up the saved that they might serve not only you but serve others and that we would be a great church, not because of our humanity, but because of the Christ who lives in us, just as we sang. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, we are in Acts chapter 10. We'll finish up Acts chapter 10 and move to chapter 11 next week. I, I, before next week, though, we're going to have the Wednesday night Bible study that uh, Deb so aptly talked about, but she left out the most important point, and that is that ladies and men, you can bring your desserts to that, that function because the fellowship in our Bible studies is rich, and it is good for the brethren to dwell together in unity. And that sweet food that y'all bring is some good stuff. Even the men, Terry Jones, can bring key lime tarts and other wonderful Wonderful desserts that uh, the Lord lays upon your heart. We're going to have a great time. I don't know if you remember, some of you were not here at that time, but back in the early days of Vero Bible Fellowship, we met at the plaza on Thursday nights, and in that setting, man, we just came together as a big family, and we had always had a spread of food. People come walking in with their little dishes that they had made, and then Erlene and her crew would prepare things for us, and man... We just had the best time together, didn't we? Before we ever opened the Word, we were already in fellowship. Well, I, I pray that that's the spirit that we'll see Wednesday night on the 23rd. So, not this week, but the following. Be part of it. Amen. Um, I want to go ahead, if we can, and, and focus on chapter 10. And, and I want to go back a little ways. I don't want to start right with the passage that Andrea read to us. I want to go back to verse 23 because I think it's pivotal. It, it sets up what we are going to finish talking about today. Uh, so let's go back to verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests. Okay, now this would be Peter who had the vision that God brought to him uh, about the sheet coming down from heaven and the different kinds of animals, reptiles, and birds. And the Lord saying to Peter, eat, take and eat. And Peter's response to the Lord was, or to the, to the voice, it wasn't, he didn't, he just heard a voice. And he said, I would never, never would I eat that. And it's unclean. Peter was kosher. And the Lord, three times for emphasis, he said, whatever I declare to be clean is no longer common. It's not unclean. And this is the setup for what we're going to study today. But if we look here, he says, so he, Peter, invited them in to be his guests. The them would be the three men sent by Cornelius, a Roman centurion, and he sent three of his men to, Peter's, to find Peter in Joppa 
and bring him to Cornelius' home. And this is an amazing greeting here. No Jew would ever open the door of their home, look at a Gentile in the face, and have a normal conversation. They would immediately tell the Gentile, back up. Get on the other side of that white picket fence that you see. You're unclean. He would see himself as superior, that you, the Gentile, are not God's chosen. In fact, what we call you, we call you dogs. That's how we see you. But God was doing something inside of Peter. This vision that Peter had had an effect. While he didn't understand it, he was perplexed, the Scripture tells us. Yet, God was working in Peter to begin thinking differently about things. So he said, the next day he rose and went away with these three men, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So some of Peter's men went along. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. Let me just make sure we understand where we are here now. This chapter tells us what the gospel can do when we truly understand what Christ did on the cross at Calvary. It started, I I, want to go slow here, and I want to try to explain carefully for those of you who might not be saved that are here today. First of all, we're thrilled that you're here. We're thankful that you are here with us. But let me explain to you. This, this incident started with an angel of the Lord coming in a vision to God to a God-fearing Roman centurion. While, G, while God was speaking to Peter in a vision, at the same time, he's speaking to a Roman, a Gentile, who was God-fearing, a man who was not saved. He did not know the gospel. He knew of Jesus, I'm sure, but he, did, he was not saved. But just because he was God-fearing, he desired to know God. God received that man's prayers and his alms as a sweet fragrance. And God sent an angel to him and he revealed to him that God has heard your prayers and he's going to answer your prayers. Take three men, send them to Joppa, pick up a man named Peter and have him come to your house. And so all this is happening. This is how, listen, salvation never begins with man. It is the work of the Lord. Salvation is God's work. The Bible goes as far as to say that unless the Holy Spirit draws you, you cannot come to the Father. You have to be drawn by God before you can be saved. The act of salvation itself is not man-centered. It's not man-driven. It is God-centered. It's God-driven. God is the one who saves you from your sin. It is the Holy Spirit who takes your unregenerate Gentile heart and He, by the Spirit, He transforms it into a regenerated spirit that is alive in God when you're saved. Amen. All of that is the work of God, not man. And so here, he is telling Cornelius, God's got something for you, Cornelius. You've been faithful. God's heard your prayers. The sweet fragrance has been coming up to the Lord. Next, we find Peter. 
who, who responds to this voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But the voice repeats itself. So Peter suddenly on a whirlwind journey with three men who come to his door that he doesn't know. And by the way, if I didn't say it earlier, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. The men that he sent, one of them was a Roman soldier. The Jews absolutely despised and hated the Romans because the Romans occupied Jerusalem. So there was nothing in this story that looked like unity, harmony, and agreement. (laughs) This is just an amazing story. And so Peter starts this whirlwind journey. He doesn't yet understand the fullness of the dream that God has given, but he goes downstairs, he meets these three guys at the door, and then he's off with these three men. But let me just say to you this about what's happening. What's happening is actually, to a Jew, outrageous. It shouldn't happen. This goes against everything that a Jew was taught in the law of Moses regarding cleansing from things that are unclean. What is happening? What's going on here? Well, this isn't primarily about Old Testament dietary restrictions. This is about God carrying out the full extent of his gospel. This is a picture of what the gospel of Christ can do in this world made up of different people, different languages, different colors. A world that is being polarized by a message from hell right now that is meant to divide us and separate us. We were made for fellowship with God, and Satan's ploy is to try and isolate and separate people from one another. Do you not see that happening in the, around the globe today? Young people being taught in such a way as to rise up against parents, against authority figures. They're being taught this. I don't want to go off on the school board meeting that we attended a week ago Monday, but now we have a school board that voted four to one to allow these books, hundreds, uh, over a hundred books that are teaching CRT to some degree, and some of the books are absolutely pornographic, and they approve for those books to be in the school system. Our superintendent of schools in Indian River County said that even he will not allow his, all of his kids to see all the books. He's going he's to discern which ones they can and cannot look at. And he said, we're going to make a form available to the parents so the parents can, can choose and select which books their kids can look at. Number one, how many parents are tuned in to what's happening in their children's lives in our county? that they would even take the time or have the energy to go and get this form and fill it out and then list all the books, they'd have to go through over 100 books. And, 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 and who wants, Andy said in a text, she said, you know, awesome that the, the, the superintendent's going to measure and discern which books his kids cannot see. But we want a superintendent who feels the same about all children not just his own. And if you want to avoid the whole mess that the board has now entered into, you don't provide those books to children, to our students. This is the world. It's to separate. It's to bring and introduce evil at such a... Listen, 
The 60s was a beginning point for a sexual revolution. That revolution has only gained steam over the decades. What we're seeing now in the sexual revolution is beyond anything that 15 years ago, even unchristian, just morally sound people would never go for it. That's the, that's the, that's the world we live in. And this story tells us a lot about the world, and it tells us a lot about how God plans to redeem those in the world. Our, our response as Christians is not to turn against and never speak to those who have differing views than us. It's to go after them and to carry to them the seed of the Word of God, the gospel, looking for those who might be open to it, that they might be saved. This is not the time for the church to separate and isolate. This is the t- I can promise you, the church in Ukraine is not separating and isolating. They are trying to reach out to people who are in desperate need and don't know where to turn. And they're bringing the gospel to them. And people are being saved right now in the Ukraine. We, we heard from one of our missionaries who said that even after the, 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 the complete ridiculous things that we've seen in the last couple years happening around the globe, and, and, and they actually said that in Afghanistan, that's one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Where there is trial, where the gospel is put to test, that's where the gospel flourishes. This is not the time to draw back. Are you hearing this this morning? Peter does not want to hang out with a bunch of Gentiles But God sent a very clear message and said, Peter, Jesus didn't die just for you. He died for everybody. And you are part of my plan to reach the world with the gospel. And this is exactly what Peter joins God in. I I titled this message, The Fruit of Obedience. There is a fruit that follows obedience. It has nothing to do with prosperity prosperity preaching. It's not about you getting money and getting a new car and a new house. That's not what I'm talking about. Obedience to Christ brings a result for the kingdom of God, not for you. Now, that doesn't mean that God can't bless you. Of course he can. The Bible shows this example. But that's never the primary purpose of God, to bless you. The primary purpose of God is to bless himself, is to bring glory to his name, not to our names. And this is what can happen when we share the gospel, when we're just faithful and obedient, not because in our emotions we feel like doing it, not because this is something that we're comfortable with, but because it's right and God's calling us to it. This is what Jesus did on the cross. He bore the sins of every human being on the cross. You and I have been saved by the work of Christ on the cross. And through the power of his resurrection, we now have power to live a different life. Amen? We're not the same. In Ephesians 2.11, it says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called by the Jews, by what is, is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. How many of you are Gentiles? Unless you're a Jew, your hand ought to be up. I mean Jew by birth, okay? He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated 
by, by com the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our state before Christ. Gentiles were separated for thousands of years from God and Israel, both socially and spiritually. They were described as the uncircumcised because they were not in covenant with God like the Jews. And the Jews called them dogs. They had no social, no spiritual relationship with God and his people. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you, this is Ephesians 2, you uh, who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Every single person who trusts in Christ alone for salvation, whether Jew or Gentile, is brought into the spiritual union and intimacy with God. This is what the atoning work of Christ accomplished by his dying on the cross. It washes away the penalty and the presence of sin forever. No longer are you bound by sin. For he himself, in our text, for he himself is our peace. Jesus alone is our peace. Are you are you at dis-ease today? The opposite of peace would be dis-ease, peace, E-A-C-E, -E, but dis-ease, disease. Are you carrying a disease that comes from this world that robs you of peace today? I want to just say this to you. There will be no peace in any person's heart until he or she is reconciled back to God through the all-sufficient, sacrificial, atoning death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. All true peace comes from Him and Him alone. No world peace, folks, coming apart from Christ. So here's what that means scripturally. If you know Revelation, you know that Jesus will return and set up a thousand-year reign on the earth. You will then see peace. You can hope for it. You can pray for it all your life. It will not come until Jesus is here. He is peace. Now, you can have it as an individual spiritually. You can have it, and it affects your emotion. It affects your physical that you know Christ is in control, even though the world is going haywire around you. You can have peace even today. When you know you're losing a loved one, a parent, a child, God can bring you peace in the midst of that trial. You can have it. And thank be to Jesus. He's the reason you can have it. Amen? For what he has done for you. In Matthew 24, our Lord said, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. I don't need to explain that to the ladies here, but I can certainly remind the men, remember when your wife was beginning to have contractions. 
It wasn't all that strong in the very beginning. Listen, that's how Jesus describes what we're experiencing in the world right now. This is just the beginning of birth pangs. Just the beginning. You better hold on to the Lord. You better make sure that you have a sure foundation, that you are tied, connected to that mooring that is absolutely trustworthy. It's not this government. It's not any human being. It's not money. It's not monetary. It's not materialistic. It is the Lord and Him alone. He does not share His glory with any human being or anything in this world created by Him. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Jesus going to the cross literally took away those ordinances of man that the Jews were following. His death abolished the Old Testament ceremonial laws. It abolished the feasts, the sacrifices, which uniquely separated Jews from Gentiles. That's why we talked a week ago about the Jewish roots movement, the Hebrew roots movement, which is a people who are trying to call you back into practicing uh, Judaism for all intents and purposes. I mean, basically, you are going to follow Torah. You're going to keep the laws. You're going to follow the feasts. You're going to speak Hebrew. It's just bizarre. It's crazy. This goes against everything that the Bible teaches. Jesus abolished all that. Now, is it wrong to have a Seder meal with a Jewish family? No, of course not. It's a wonderful tradition to understand as a Christian that this is what the Jews, those who were God's chosen, holy, dearly loved, practiced for thousands of years. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're not doing it because it has meaning today. It was replaced it was replaced by the Lord's Supper. He instituted a new covenant. You don't, no longer, you're not required to follow the old covenant. There's a new covenant. And he brought into the new covenant the Ten Commandments. Why? Because that speaks of God's holiness. That doesn't end with the old covenant. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. I love that. Christ doesn't exclude anyone who comes to him. And those who are his are not spiritually distinct from one another. New translates in the Greek language here when it says that he might create in himself one new man. That word new translates, it refers to something completely unlike what it was before. It refers to, bring, to being different in kind and quality. You're not the same person you used to be in Christ. Tell your spouse that right now. I am not that guy anymore. Amen? I'm not that gal anymore. You've been changed by Christ. And every day that you walk with the Lord, you grow more and more like Jesus. You're conforming to the image of his, of his, of his will and of his image. I mean, you look like him. <laughs> That's what it's about, being a believer. You're new. Old things pass away. All things are not some things, all things. All things are new. Aren't you glad you're new? I don't hear hardly any amens on that. We've got this wonderful amen choir right up front. 
You, you all need to join the choir. <laughs> so making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through cross, thereby killing the hostility. <coughs> it's the only way to deal with the wickedness of this world is through Christ. It says in verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So he preached to the Gentile who had no hope in God, and he preached to the Jew who knew God. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. You see that? You both have it. Nobody has more than another. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. It's when we all recognize that we're no better than anybody else and nobody else in the body of Christ is better than me and I'm just one of a wonderful family and we all have unity all of a sudden now. We are looking like a temple of God in a cafeteria. And we're a temple of God. Has nothing to do with buildings. So, you know, I hear from some of you periodically, and I feel the same. When are we going to get a building? Well, it's not for lack of looking, believe me, and for even making some offers at times. We've done both. But I got to tell you, I had some friends who I pastored in Palm Beach Gardens, and they had moved to Tennessee, and they got very involved in the life of the church there, and man, they're just doing great, and the church is going forward, and it's growing, it's good things happening, and they, but, but, but she said to me, Val said, but Pastor Greg, I got to tell you, it's not the same now that we have a building. There was something about meeting in a borrowed facility that brought a yearning to us. We had to hope in God because we didn't have anything. And after we got something, we rested. We didn't yearn so much. Does that make sense? So while we do want to have a structure that we can absolutely say we can do whatever we want in that building and meet as often as we want, that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. But I pray that we guard against letting facilities steal our joy and our yearning for God. Amen? So enjoy this season that we're in. Uh, somebody asked me last week, they said, so tell me about your church. I said, well, we're a nomadic church, number one. <laughs> we are. We're just a bunch of nomads, you know. We'll... We'll meet at the plaza, we'll meet here, we'll meet wherever, homes, whatever, you know, you just do it however we can do it. Praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a testimony of the, of the work of God, that a church would stay together even though they don't have a home. That means we belong to Him. That's better than any physical home, amen? Him. He's our address. And He's inside of you. Your body is his temple. He dwells within you. I love it. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. This whole idea of everybody being one. He's, what, he's talk, what Peter's talking about here is the church. The Old Testament prophets didn't understand the church. They had no concept. They, when they were prophesied, there were things they were saying they didn't even understand. 
They only saw the Jews being part of that. They didn't see, when they come into a prophecy that spoke of the nations of the earth, they, they were confused. What do you mean? Well, they did it. They were obedient and God brought forth the fruit. And now you and I are the fruit. We're the church. We're exactly what they were talking about. And this whole thing is built on the, the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid and Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And verse 27, and as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. This is Peter now entering the house. What does it say in verse 25? When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Don't ever worship me. We need to tell that to the Catholic church. Honestly, if you're Catholic, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to step on toes, but you need to move your feet. The reality is the Bible does not place Peter in any position of authority or the head pastor of the church. He is not. Jesus is the head of the church. He alone brings peace. Peter can't bring peace. And so Peter recognized that himself. When this guy falls down before Peter thinking he was the great apostle, and he said, well, well get up. I'm just a man. That's all I am. I'm not St. Peter special. You're a saint like I'm a saint if you know the Lord, amen? We're all equal. Peter's just like us. See, the truth is only the triune God deserves worship and praise. Anytime, anywhere, only God should get it. If you go into a worship setting, wherever it might be, for whatever purpose it might be, and you see man elevating man, putting emphasis on man, get out. That's not what God's about. God's about glorifying himself, not man. Not man. He says in verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Now Peter gets it. This is, it wasn't about dietary laws, eating you know, certain types of, of food or meats. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Oh, there it is. So once I understood what the Lord was... In fact, before I fully understood it, I still obeyed God. And as I was going down the road, the Lord revealed to me. By the time I got to your house, it, God made clear to me what he was doing. And I just simply obeyed him without objection. And what happens when you obey without objection? Fruit fills the kingdom of God. Look at this. This is beautiful. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said four days ago, about this hour I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here. He only, it wasn't just him. He invited his whole family, and he invited his friends. We're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So here's a guy who's nothing but a God-fearing man, a Gentile, a soldier, a Roman soldier. But yet he fears God, and he doesn't know much. But Peter, I'm glad you're here. I've assembled all my friends. Tell us what we don't understand. That is like, that's like picking some easy fruit off the tree. You, you just shake that tree and the fruit falls. This is awesome. 
Salvation comes to Cornelius' house and to all the peoples that were gathered. So what is the fruit of obedience for you and I? Well, understand these things and you'll understand the fruit of obedience, okay? You need to understand, number one, God shows no partiality in your witness to others. Don't ever show partiality. You just go after whoever is in front of you. Okay, look, look at verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. That does not mean they're saved. It just means that God hears their prayer, and now they are ready, they're primed to receive the gospel. You are sent to share it. So if you want to see fruit in the kingdom, you better be obedient to not show partiality. Peter's point was not to imply that men like Cornelius were already right with God. He's saying the point is, that's why I'm here, to help you take the step that you must take, and that is be saved. Do you see people that way? Or do we measure people up and say, he's not ready, I, I'm not going to share with him. You're God? You know that person's heart? That's not what the parable of the sower says. It doesn't say that the sower pulls a little bit of seed out of the feed bag and then goes, okay, where can I place this to get the greatest return? Okay, oh, here's some fertile soil. I'm skipping those rocks and those weeds, and I'm certainly not going to throw any on the path. Let me just put it here. God didn't say that's what the sower does. See, that's God's work. Your work is to do this. Reach into that feed bag with your whole hand and just start doing this scattering seed. Let it go anywhere and everywhere. Peter is being obedient. He's in a Gentile's home, a Roman soldier that he cannot stand according to the law, according to culture, and now he's feeding him the word of God. Wow. No partiality. God wants the message of the gospel to be given to every human being because every human being matters to God. It does not matter what you or I think. You only have an opinion because you've lived long enough to develop one. But that doesn't make your opinion truth. Long after you're gone, death comes to your door. Guess what happens to your opinion? It dies with you. And the word of God will still be standing. You better build your life on the truth of the word. Don't show partiality. Love people. Everybody. Love them. Love them. Don't size them up. Don't try to figure it all out. Love them. Now, I'm not saying that if you see somebody who's carrying an AR, you know, like a weapon, a rifle or something, an assault rifle, that you want to just, you want to be careful, right? Be discerning. But I'm talking about in general with people. Don't measure people that you don't know their heart. Love them. Number two, the message of the gospel has to be explained. If you want to bear fruit, you've got to walk in obedience by explaining the gospel. Verse 36, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, 
that he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for he was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And look what Peter says now. He goes into the the gospel. He says, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter, and believe me, I think Luke in writing this is giving you a synopsis of a sermon. You're not getting everything. But Peter certainly explained the gospel to these people, so they understood who Jesus was. They'd already heard about him. But now he's explaining, that guy that you've heard about, he wasn't just a prophet. He was God, incarnate, in human flesh. Notice Peter doesn't change the message of the gospel that he preached to the Gentiles from the message of the gospel that he preached to the Jews. It's not two different messages. You don't change the message to fit certain people. Don't don't try to manipulate or massage the gospel to fit people. You know what Paul said? He said, I went to Athens. I stood there among the Areopagus and all the philosophers, and I tried to kind of get cute and talk about the poets and what they said and let them know about the one unnamed God that they had there, and I know that God. And he, So he was sharing the gospel, but he was kind of trying to make it fit those philosophers. And it says at the end that not many were saved. Many of the peop- not many of the people got saved. So then he goes... Then he writes a letter to Corinth, and he says in in the letter to Corinth, you know that when I first came to you, I just come from Athens, and when I came to you, I came to you in weakness, fear, and much trembling, because I did not want you to rest upon my words, upon my ability to share. I only wanted you to see a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. So I came to you in weakness, fear, and trembling. When you approach people, how many of you feel weak, full of fear and trembling? Okay, thank you, Jimmy, for being honest. We're all that way. That's the greatest recipe for sharing the gospel. Let people see it's not you. It's God. You're just a feeble person, but you believe in the perfect God, and God has made a way, and He's changed your life, and you share the gospel. You share these points that Peter is hitting here. Peter communicated that Jesus' own baptism was to identify with humanity. He said that Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. He said Jesus went about doing good through healings and deliverances. He said Jesus' ministry was accomplished by the power of God. God was with him. He said Jesus ministered in the presence of eyewitnesses. He said Jesus was crucified. He said Jesus was raised from the dead within view of many witnesses. Jesus commands us to preach the message of who he is and what he did. Jesus is ordained by God to be the judge of the entire world. Jesus is the one foretold by the prophets. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's all he talked about. Not himself. He brought no glory to himself. There was no way those people could ever think that Peter was special. All they knew was that this man was consumed with Jesus. And they clearly understood who Jesus was by what these men said. Thirdly, you want to bear fruit 
out of obedience, know that if you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven of your sins. There's no greater fruit than walking in freedom and peace, not having to hold people hostage anymore because you forgave them. And the reason you forgave them was because you know God forgave you of your sins. And your sins are worse than their sins. I know you don't think that. We always seem to think that the sins that others commit against us are the worst sins. We don't ever consider how bad our sins are. And I'm not just talking about the sins we commit against people, but the sins of our mind, the sins in our heart. Oh, believe me, what people have done is nothing compared to what you thought up. And God forgave you. So much so that you're justified by faith, meaning God now looks at you as if you never committed those sins. How, knowing that, could you ever hold somebody else hostage any longer? He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, I mean, here he is preaching the sermon. He's in the middle of his sermon. Talk about God messing up the sermon. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. All who heard Peter. No. All who heard the word. The truth that was greater than Peter that came out of his mouth. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit that they saw on the day of Pentecost when the Jews were saved was now happening to the Gentiles the same way. For they were hearing and hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. So they were hearing these Gentiles who were probably speaking because they could understand what they were saying. Gentiles who were speaking Hebrew, Gentiles who were speaking Aramaic, the languages that the Jews understood, and these Gentiles were speaking these languages, and they were extolling God in other languages. This had to happen at this time so that the Jew who had that experience on the day of Pentecost would now know that it's the same Holy Spirit doing the same exact thing for the whole rest of the world. I love that. You're not special. I'm not special. Everybody in God's eyes matters. Lastly, he then compelled them. He said, can you anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked to remain for some days. By the way, this baptism did not happen when they were saved. They were saved and then they were baptized subsequently. They got saved when all of a sudden they break out in tongues. The only way you can do that is if the Holy Spirit's what? In you. They're saved, and now all of a sudden they're changed. They're new. They're just equal to the Jew now. There's no no separation. And, And so Peter says, what keeps us from baptizing these good folk? Get the water ready. We're going to do some dunking, man. This is going to be awesome. This entrance of Gentiles into the church was not a new plan. It was something that God had planned all the way back in Genesis. 
The Old Testament looked for the day when a light would shine in the darkness of the Gentile world. Isaiah 60 verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover, listen, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And now it's fulfilled in the New Testament. And you and I are called to obediently share the gospel with people, everybody, and watch the fruit fall from the tree, fruit that'll stand for eternity in heaven because you were faithful to throw that seed. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for each person here. God, may we take up arms. Our weapon is not the weapons of warfare that the world understands. Our weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And that we would walk among those who are lost and dying and helpless in this world and we would throw the seed of the gospel their way because they matter to you as much as we matter to you. And while we might be separated from the, in the fact that we're saved and they're not, but God wants them to be saved as well. So, Father, thank you for this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to obey everything that I've commanded you. Father, that's our call as the church. May we be faithful to it. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Hey, love somebody before you get out of here now. Don't just walk out. Our ushers and our prayer partners will be in the front. If you need prayer for any matter, you come up and they'll pray with you. If you have received Christ today, just like the Gentiles, they just got saved in the midst of a sermon. If that was you, come forward and tell somebody about it. God bless you.